Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Wednesday. It is the 13th of September. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. All four members of Iowa's U.S. House delegation say they support an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. Yesterday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy alleged allegations of corruption and abuse of power warrant further investigation. Iowa's 3rd District Congressman Zach Nunn says he agrees. I think this is the starting point for having a real conversation on what evidence exists and then holding uh, folks accountable if there's been a violation. 4th District Congressman Randy Feenstra says Biden must be held accountable after credible whistleblowers say that he secured preferential treatment for his son, who's facing tax evasion charges. A spokesperson for Biden's re-election campaign says the Republican-led House has become an arm of Donald Trump's presidential campaign, and the allegations are debunked conspiracy theories. A vice president for Summit Carbon Solutions says rejected requests to build the company's carbon pipeline in North and South Dakota should not affect its construction permit process in Iowa. Micah Rory is in charge of land acquisition for the company and testified yesterday at an Iowa Utilities Board hearing in Fort Dodge. I was asked the question last week about whether I thought we ought to get a permit without other state permits in play, in which I responded, yes, I think we ought to. Uh, We ought to seek a permit in Iowa regardless of how things are going in other states. An attorney for property owners who don't want the pipeline on their land asked Rory about the permit denial in South Dakota. Rory said he's focused on making sure Summit accomplishes the criteria for the part of the pipeline in Iowa. The Humane Society of Scott County wants more money from the city of Davenport. IPR's Zachary Orrin-Smith tells us the organization says the only other way to cut costs would be to deny medical care to some animals and reduce staffing. In a given year, the Humane Society of Scott County takes care of 3,000 animals. The organization says it costs $1.3 million to provide services in Davenport. Meanwhile, the contract the Humane Society and city agreed to covers less than 30% of that cost. The Humane Society's legal counsel wrote the city in late August that it's terminating the existing contract, asking for an increase of $1 million annually, more than three times its current funding level. The city of Davenport wrote in a statement that it understands the importance of these services and that they will continue regardless of the provider. A new cultural project is underway in Waterloo to help residents connect with local and state black history. But it's facing an uphill battle, as we hear from IPR's Grant Leo Winterer. Local historian Charles Pearson will be launching the walking trail to shed light on Waterloo's African-American history. Pearson has worked on several similar projects up and down the Mississippi River, but bringing the Heritage Trail to Iowa, he says, offers a particularly difficult challenge. You don't have one black historical neighborhood, not one black historical district. That's for all of Iowa. Pearson says he would like to see his trail drivable and walkable, but cites access to recreational resources as another barrier to the trail's progress. He says the eastern part of Waterloo has no bike trail and its roads can be unsafe. By February, however, he hopes to have laid the research and groundwork for at least one black historical district in the city. And the number of train cars carrying grain across Iowa dropped in July. The Department of Transportation's Stuart Anderson told the Transportation Commission July continued what has been a downward trend. Which is indicative of reduced grain exports, uh, which we're certainly seen with other measures. 
uh, July carloads of grain were down 21% from last July. One member of the commission says corn and soybean exports are down 30% compared to last year. He says South American competition is part of the reason, and low water on the Mississippi River means barges have to carry smaller loads of grain. This is Here First from IPR News. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. Early fall temperatures make it easy to forget the scorching heat of August and July this year. But climatologists say Midwesterners need to get ready for more hazardous heat waves in the future. As Holly Edgel of the Midwest Newsroom reports, most homes are not ready for that. When you live in a 100-year-old house that remains hot at night, even with your A.C. running full blast, you're bound to lose sleep, especially if you're the father of a newborn. Babies don't like 75-degree temperatures. They like that 68 to 72. That's Justin Glisson, Iowa's state climatologist. Many homes like his are vulnerable to extreme heat because of unsealed gaps in aging materials. Heat keeps him up at night. If you can't cool off during the nighttime hours, that's where you're really starting to perpetuate those daytime high temperatures, just bumping them up. And those conditions played a part when four Midwest states broke records for heat-related illnesses at hospitals in August. Scientists foresee an extreme heat belt suffocating the Midwest in the next 30 years. By mid-century, we'll see a sharp increase in days with feels-like temperatures of 125 degrees. The infrastructure that we have now is not built for where we are, and it's definitely not built for where we're going. So it is an infrastructure adaptation aspect that we really have to uh, deal with. It's a big challenge. Alice Hill is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Affairs and an expert in the risks and consequences of climate change. She says many homes in the Midwest are not prepared for the extremes that climate change will bring. And the federal government has not established a standard for the construction of new homes and neighborhoods to combat high temperatures. We do not have a national building code. We instead leave the choice about where and how to build to local communities or to states. Building codes are designed primarily for safety. Iowa and Nebraska have statewide building codes. Kansas and Missouri allow cities and counties to make the rules. That can mean some houses in the Midwest are built under much less stringent codes than others just down the street. Even so, Hill says, many of the codes are not strong enough to ensure climate-friendly homes that keep residents safe from extreme heat. They're primarily based on uh, past data, past meteorological information, and that means that they're out of date because they're calling for buildings to be constructed for a climate that no longer exists, much less the climate that we will see in the near future. Hill says standardized codes to create climate-resilient homes could require pricey building materials and methods that keep residents safe and don't create more pollution. But innovation is not cheap. And many builders argue stricter codes drive up construction costs that get passed on to the homebuyer. So you've got the developer who wants to build cheaply, the family wants to 
buy cheaply. So that may be that the developer really doesn't want to have the added cost of resilience. The sweeping climate law that President Biden signed last summer includes nearly $1 billion for low-income multifamily housing to become more energy efficient, water efficient, and resilient to climate disasters. That sounds good to Peter Thorne, a professor of environmental health at the University of Iowa. Different people have different susceptibility to heat as opposed to, say, air pollution. It certainly kills more people, heat stroke, every year than does um, uh, air pollution-induced asthma in the U.S. Thorne hopes the climate provisions in the Biden infrastructure plan are institutionalized, so they remain in place regardless of who is in the White House. The incentives that are coming from the government through the Inflation Reduction Act are, are, I think, a tipping point. Hill says these programs might be helpful for energy efficiency in new construction, but the initiatives don't do much to protect Midwesterners from the climate extremes to come. For that paradigm shift to happen, Builders, developers, consumers, and governments need to work from the same blueprint. For the Midwest Newsroom, I'm Holly Edgel. The Midwest Newsroom is a partnership between NPR, IPR News, and member stations in Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska. This podcast is called Here First. You can find it wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening.